Blog Talk Radio. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. I have a great show for you today. I thought I talk about this topic a lot. I've thought about it a lot. I meant to do it on the podcast a lot, <laughs> but I've gotten a series of emails that tell me, hey, it's time to do this show, and now when, you, when a person emails me about it, a therapist, I can say, or, oh, or a parent, hey, listen to the show, because I can give you much more detail in this 45 minutes <laughs> than I could possibly provide in an email response. So today what we're going to be talking about is the answer to a question that all of us have usually when we're working with late talkers who are not making as much progress as we would like. You know, why isn't this working? What could possibly be going wrong? And so let's talk about the reasons that expressive language strategies may not work for a late talker or may not work for a toddler with other known language delays or disorders. And we're primarily going to be talking about the expressive piece. Now, if you're a therapist, you know language is broken down into receptive language versus expressive language. And as a parent, let me just take a minute to give you a quick little review of that. My guess is that if you found this podcast, you already know this (laughs) because you are out there looking for answers. But let's just review. Uh, there's certainly with receptive and expressive language, there are some differences. Receptive language means what a child understands or even what you understand, what you comprehend. When someone says something, when you hear language, whether it's on the radio or TV or, again, just someone talking to you, it, it's how you process it. It's how you know what the words mean. It's how you know that someone is speaking a language that you No. (laughs) So that's receptive language. Expressive language is how you communicate messages to other people. Now, we mostly think about that as talking. But under this category, we could also think about things like gestures and, and even beyond just things like sign language, which would be a compensatory strategy or an alternative communication method that we're using to teach toddlers to communicate who aren't quite developmentally ready to talk yet. Or a child, again, with a hearing impairment may have that. But I just mean even even grouped in that would be things that we all do, like shrugging our shoulders means what? usually means I don't know, <laughs> or waving bye-bye. We start to do that when we're, you know, right before we turn one, and we do it our whole lives. We wave at other people. Pointing is a big, big expressive but nonverbal communicative act that we all use. We all point all day, every day, even as adults to each other. Even as we're talking, we use that information to supplement what our listener is uh, getting from us, so expressive versus receptive language. Now, we're primarily talking about in this show the reasons that expressive language or talking when we're trying to teach a late talker how to use words, why the, the things that you're doing may not work. And the number one by far reason is the child is not developmentally ready to speak yet. Now, anytime a kid is over about that first birthday, and certainly as they start chugging toward that second birthday, (laughs) and especially if they've already turned two, we expect them to be able to use words because that's our developmental norm. We, We know from lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of experience that babies begin to use words right around the time they are celebrating those first birthdays. So certainly a whole year later, when they're still not talking very much, 
parents, pediatricians, grandparents, people at the store, <laughs> your next door neighbors start to get worried when a kid isn't using words. And again, the number one reason is there's something missing there. And that's what I mean by developmentally ready to talk. There's some underlying prerequisite foundational skill that's missing. So let's talk about what some of those could be. Now, if you've been listening to the show since the fall, you know, this is now April of 2018, and, and let me just say I'm giving the date there because these shows live on on the Internet forever, and I've been doing the podcast for almost 10 years now. So lots and lots of information out there, and people will say, they'll say, I, I've just started listening to your show, and you know, I'll, I'll ask, what, what was it about? What was the topic? And they'll say, oh, I started at show number one. Uh, <laughs> but 10 years of shows, you know, this is show number 337. It may take you forever. So people may be listening to this, you know, four or five years from now. But let me just say, if you've been listening lately in the last five or six months, I have a new book out called Let's Talk About Talking, and it reviews the 11 prerequisite skills that all toddlers master, whether they're late talkers or talk on time or whether there's some other kind of developmental challenge going on. Kids, before they begin to talk, need these 11 skills lining up and pretty close to mastered or at least emerging before we start to hear them really, really use words and particularly use those words to communicate effectively with other people. And, and that's a fantastic system to use. And it's the best, that little chart, and it's on my website at teachmetotalk.com. If you have not bought the book but you still want to see what all that's about, you can get that chart at teachmetotalk.com. There is a catch, so you have to be on my email list to do that, so you'll need to subscribe to the email list. And if you don't get a password within a couple of days, just email me at laura at teachmetotalk.com, and I'll try to get that to you. Um, and if you're listening, hey, the password is chart. I'm a really simple, uncomplicated person. So <laughs> if you're on the email list and don't have it, blah, 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 just type chart in there to get that list of those 11 skills. But before this, before that book was released in 2017, in 2010, I did my first CEU course ever called Early Speech Language Development, Taking Theory to the Floor. It is still just as relevant now, eight years later, as it was in 2010. I, I didn't put it on DVD until, gosh, 2013 or so. So it's, it's still selling and relevant and timely. But when I developed this course in 2010, I wasn't really looking at 11 different skills before kids talk. I just grouped it into an even simpler hierarchy. And so this may be where you start when you're thinking, why isn't this kid talking? What's going on? What's going on? Look at how he's functioning developmentally, meaning that there are some areas that come before talking. The first big one is social. Social skills. The child has to be interactive. He has to like other people. He has to want to be with other people. And if you'll think about it, that's the reason any of us learn how to talk. It's so that other people can know what we mean. It's so we can uh, express ourselves and let other people who, again, also understand the same language that we're speaking get it when we're, when we're saying ball. They understand that it means that round-shaped object that we throw back and forth or kick or whatever. That's, that's the symbol for that. And before we, again, but before we can get there, we have to understand that communication is a two-way street, and it does involve two, -way, two people. And so sometimes we have children in speech therapy, and we start immediately working on talking and, you know, say it, say it, tell me, tell me. And we get frustrated 
when that child isn't popping out those words as we would expect. And a lot of times we don't go far enough back at looking at what could be going wrong. And so the far enough back, the beginning place for that is, is this child interactive? Does he respond to people? Does he like being with other people? Does he notice when other people talk to him? Does he respond? Does he look at other people? When you do something like point at an object and say, look, does he look? That's, that's joint attention, but it's encompassed in that overall category of social skills. So sometimes we're working with children who are not talking, and the, their primary reason, their core deficit, is they're missing that social piece. And so we have to get that going first. So that's your starting point. You've got to look to see, hey, is he engaged enough with other people? If that's, if he's not or if she's not, that's your starting point for therapy. It's not with talking. It's not with trying to teach him how to say words. It's to get that attention piece going and to get that sustained back and forth, reciprocal interaction going. So that's your starting place there. Sometimes it's that a child hasn't met enough cognitive milestones, meaning that he doesn't understand enough yet really about the world and how things work. And if you're looking at let's talk about talking, this is actually uh, really included under a couple of different skills here, the cognitive section, but one is responding to environmental events. Does he notice? when new things come into his little line of vision? Does he pay attention and try to explore his environment? Attention is a big part of cognition as well, how kids think and plan and remember and, again, notice or include what's happening within their realm of attention there. So all that's included in the cognitive component. And so when we have a kid, again, who might have a diagnosis of Cognitive delay, we used to call that mental retardation, but that term has fallen out of favor for um, you know, cognitive impairment or cognitive disability. But, but basically we're saying there's something that's going on with how this child learns, how he thinks, how he attends. So cognition is a big part of that. So a lot of times we're trying to work on teaching a kid how to talk when he doesn't understand really important cognitive concepts like object permanence. Something doesn't disappear just because I can't see it or cause an effect, meaning I do this and then this happens. And again, that's a big reason that all of us talk. We, that's the, we, we want to we use our words as the cause. We tell somebody what we want, and then they respond. That's the effect. So if a kid says cracker, that's the cause. Mom gets him a cracker. That's, that's the effect. But kids who don't understand that from, again, a nonverbal perspective aren't ever going to get there verbally. They've got to learn it nonverbally first. And that happens through play. That happens through pushing buttons with toys. That happens through opening a door and seeing uh, with a toy like the barn or maybe a little Poppin' Palace toy, learning, again, that that object is there. It didn't disappear just because you can't see it. That's the object permanence part. But also, hey, I made that happen. I pushed the button. I opened the door. I rolled the car across the floor, and it crashed into the, the leg of the chair. Cause and effect, so, so, so important. And, again, kids have to learn that with objects in their little worlds. And from that kind of not talking perspective before it ever gets transferred into a sim something symbolic like words or language. So social was that number one area. That next area is cognitive, cognitive development. 
linked closely with that is what we already talked about, the receptive language development. Kids will start to learn what words mean. They link meaning. And that, that you have to teach a child and make sure that a child understands what a word means before we can ever expect for him to say it. Now, there's a subset of children who are echolalic, meaning they echo or they repeat what they've heard without really attaching meaning to it. And so those kids don't have problems talking. They have problems communicating. And, and the, at the core of that is they haven't linked what you say and even what they can say with what those words mean. So let's go back to our example previously with ball. They may be able to repeat you when you say ball as you're playing. They may say ball, but you say go get the ball and nothing. <laughs> There's no response. They do not follow that direction. Again, they may be talking a blue streak. They may be singing an entire song or quoting from a movie or quoting a book that you read to them. And it can be shocking for parents when they realize, gosh, just because my child can say this word doesn't mean that he actually processes it. And lots of times parents will think that those children are just really, really misbehaving or being stubborn or lazy when they don't follow directions. And they'll say to me things like, you know, Laura, I'm still really, really confused about this receptive language thing because he says the word book. So why in the world, when I say, do you want to read a book, he says book. So then when, I, when you're telling me he doesn't understand commands like go find your book, you know, that, that's a big disconnect for parents. And so we have to really help them understand that. And, again, not in a condescending, I can't believe you didn't already recognize this big problem way, it's it's just kind of logical because we expect for children and we expect for all of us before we can say a word and communicate with the word to be able to understand it. So you have to explain that unusual developmental profile to parents and talk about, you know, the reason that he's not really communicating, even if a child is, again, already repeating some words, already starting to do some of those their little soliloquies where they're quoting uh, some of their favorite things that they've heard. You have to really help parents understand that. And so you've got to revisit those areas before you can really expect to make a ton of progress with expressive language. And let me just say, with receptive language, there are lots of children, too, who aren't talking, who, who uh, don't understand words. And so... When we start, you know, we've used that example of echolalia. I don't want you to think that's the only time it happens. There are many, many children who are, pediatricians have just labeled them as speech delay or late talker or whatever, when the real problem is receptive language. They've not made those connections. And so what do you do when you realize, gosh, this child isn't developmentally ready to talk? He's not as socially connected to other people as, as he needs to be. There are some cognitive milestones missing. He's not really solving any problems. He's... He, he doesn't understand how toys work. Uh, he's not really following any directions. What do you do? You back up and work on those things first. And sometimes I tell parents, especially parents who are a little jaded with the whole therapy process, maybe they've seen some other people and haven't made a lot of progress in therapy, and so, you know, I'm kind of their last stop. <laughs> or let's say... Um, you get a new set of parents who, again, have not yet fully grasped the scope of a child's issues, and they are so focused on when's he going to talk, when's he going to talk, why aren't you teaching him to talk, we're in speech therapy, why aren't you working on teaching him to talk. Sometimes you just really have to say, hey, 
that is not going to happen for a while yet. It might be weeks or even months before we can realistically expect for your child to talk. And again, some parents know that if a child has a really big medical diagnosis, if they if they've done some research and they know that there's that late talking or language delay is a component of a much bigger medical or developmental challenge. Some parents expect that, but more often than not, they're coming to us for speech therapy, for developmental intervention, for OT, and they expect us to get right on that, you know, let's teach him to talk today. You know, within 10 minutes, he should have 10 new words, and it just doesn't work like that. So as therapists, you have to really set that expectation and, and I, you know, manage a parents' expectations. And as a parent, if you're listening to this and you haven't really thought about that before, there are lots of things that come before words developmentally. And so we have to fill in those missing skills. And that's a good way to kind of think about it. And I say to parents all the time, you know, he's just not ready. When he's ready, I promise he'll do it. When he, when he can talk, he will talk. And I've written a lot about that. I've done a post called Can't Versus Won't. And so you can go to Teach Me to Talk. We're not going to beat that horse today. You can go to my website at Teach Me to Talk and read that if you've never read that before because it's a great, great post. And I, I send it out periodically if you're on the email list because it's such good information. And we have to realize that most of the time children are not choosing not to talk. It's that one of those pieces are missing. So again, that's our number one reason that our expressive language strategies aren't working. The child's not ready yet. We've got some prerequisite skills to strengthen. And let me just say one more word about that. When I did the whole series of, of with let's talk about talking and all the all the things that I talk about with that, it's not just that a child with those eleven prerequisite skills, pre linguistic skills, it's not just that a child hasn't hasn't you know, at one time or another done one little part of one little skill. You can't really just check the box and say that skill is met. Those skills have to be strong and stable. And those aren't my words. That's borrowed from Dr. James McDonald in his wonderful book, Play to Talk. And he's retired now as a speech-language pathologist from Ohio, just really, really influential in the field of early intervention and early language development with toddlers. And, and he really talks about that because so many times parents, you know, a child will sort of wave bye-bye three weeks ago one time <laughs> and then a parent wants to say, yeah, he can wave bye-bye, but he doesn't do it consistently. And so we really, really look for consistency with all those areas in a child's social skills, in his cognitive development, in his receptive language skills, and in those other little things that we talk about in that uh, and let's talk about talking with those 11 pre-linguistic skills. Kids have to have all those in place. And again, if you've been working on expressive language and you're realizing, uh-oh, there's some gaps here, go back and just really, really focus on those areas and, and leave words, leave the talking piece for later. And again, that's so hard for parents to understand. And it's even hard for a lot of therapists. You know, and I like to say to therapists sometimes, you know, you can cue a word every once in a while <laughs> to make, you know, to just... Uh, Make sure he's not ready, but you know in your heart, you know when a kid is nowhere near really being able to talk. And there are children who surprise us, and again, that is a gift when that happens. You know, if we hear a little pop-out word, take it as that. You know, it's just a little unexpected surprise, but we've still got to double down and do the hard work to get the prerequisites and get the pre-linguistic skills all in order. So that's the number one reason 
that our expressive strategies may not be working with children. The second one is a big one too, and it's kind of encompassed in that number one reason, but it's so important that I pulled it out to be number two, is that the child does not imitate well enough. Imitating is so critical for language development, and actually that's how any of us learn anything. We all learn how to drive by sitting in the back seat <laughs> watching our parents for years and years and years and years, and we, we, even before we begin to put our own hands on the steering wheel as teenagers, we've had a lot of experience watching other people drive. Same thing with tying your shoes. Same thing with riding a bike. Same thing with learning to use utensils and writing. I mean, just every single area we watch other people and then we do it ourselves. So imitation is so important with this, and lots of times children aren't talking yet because they're not verbally imitating. Here's the catch, though, guys. Imitating doesn't begin with verbal imitation. It actually begins at that nonverbal level as well, and so we have to back all the way up to the beginning and walk a child through that whole hierarchy of imitating. Now, there's too much to review in this show. I'm going to just walk you through these levels. But if you need more information about this, get your hands on my therapy manual called Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers, and it outlines this approach so beautifully. And so when we have children, again, that are social, they're interacting with other people, and they, they, do, they are smart, they're meeting their cognitive milestones, they're playing with toys, and again, that's how we know their, their cognition is moving along, but how well they manipulate new toys and understand what to do. And then their receptive language is moving along great. They're following familiar commands consistently. They point to pictures in books. They understand body parts. Again, they, their comprehension is there, but they're still not talking. This is it. It's that they're not imitating well enough. So you have to, again, back all the way up to the beginning and walk through this little hierarchy. And at the nonverbal level, it begins with imitating actions. And expected actions with objects is what we begin with. So that would mean like they see a hat and they know to put the and they watch you put a hat on your head, and so they put a hat on their head. They watch you bang a drum, they bang a drum. They watch you push the train, and they push the train. So they're they're watching you do things that they that that make sense that are expected with familiar objects, but they can copy you in the moment. Then you bump them up to unexpected actions. So let's use those same examples. What's an unexpected action you would do with a hat? You might sit on it or put it in your pocket. When a child is imitating really, really well, they'll do those things too because they think, oh, that's cool. She just did that. Let me copy that. And that whole imitation uh, skill is so um such an important part of toddlerhood and again we see kids start to really do this earlier but we we want to see it by 18 months in typical development that's kind of the outer edge and lots of our little friends that are like talkers or with language delays or any other kind of developmental delay aren't doing uh, that kind of really basic imitation and so we have to look at that the next little level of imitation is will he imitate actions with his own little body. So, And the reason that's important is because those things turn into gestures. So like we talked about waving. So that's moving your hand up and down. We know that's a communicative gesture, which usually means high or by. But it starts with the child being able to copy what you do with your body. So if you run across the room, will he run across the room? If you jump, will he jump? Will he give you a high five? Will he uh, pat his head? Will he clap? All of those body movements 
that's that next little phase of imitation. Then we move it on up the child's body and we look at his mouth. Will he imitate some mouth movements without sound? So will he open his mouth if you open your mouth? Will he click his tongue? Will he pucker to uh, kiss like he's giving kisses, those little kissy sounds? Will he do those things? And again, I'm saying without sound here. And this is what speech-language pathologists have traditionally considered in the oral motor development realm. And those kinds of things have fallen out of favor to use as speech therapy techniques that you spend a lot of time on because there's not enough support or not enough research to link that a kid has to do that before he begins to talk. But for some children, who do not know or realize that their mouth is under their own volitional control, you may have to back up to this point. And again, I'm not going to really belabor this. If you're a speech therapist, that makes sense to you. If you're a parent, that may be a little iffy. Again, if you'll get the book, that will really uh, help you understand what that connection is or isn't. But it will also give you some ideas, and you'll know if you should be working on that kind of thing with your child or not. For, some, for most kids, I never do that. Step. That, uh, again, only really there's a small subset of children who need to work on that level of imitation. The next level, though, every toddler needs to be able to do this, and these are, and, and they, they naturally do it. And here's the phase where we get lots of children referred for speech therapy. It's kids can imitate some things uh, with sound, but they're not really words yet. So this would be like coughing. <laughs> that little fake cough, and boy, that becomes so fun for kids and parents, babies, in this little phase, you know, six to nine months. They start to use that little um, cough as a way to get your attention, and it might be things like blowing raspberries, so that little sound. Uh, again, any little movement that you're making with your mouth that uh, there's a sound part of it. Other little things there, um, you know, whining is a big one here, that purposeful kind of vocalization, but car and truck noise, it's any kind of little environmental sound like that that's not quite a word. And there I'm talking about things like irk or, uh, you know, uh, like I already did the raspberry, like the motor sound. So those kinds of little sounds, uh, animal sounds fall into, certainly can fall into some of these categories as well if it's not really a word that you could spell yet. So I'm meaning like a snort like a pig or a snore, those kinds of things. And even any little sounds like ah, after a kid takes a drink. All of those would be those play sounds or vocalizations that play the sound. The next thing that we're going to teach kids how to do are just that next little step up with imitation. These would be imitating exclamatory words like, you know, man, oh man, or uh-oh, or wee, or, you know, pow. Those kinds of words. Those words are so fun for toddlers, and many times late talkers need that kind of word as an in-between step before they can start to imitate real words in context. So think about those little things. And again, if you're a speech therapist, you may get kids who are referred to you, and they may only have two or three words, and a lot of times they're words from these kinds of categories. They'll say, uh, you know, things like yay, but nothing else. That might be their only word. And so if you'll, if you'll start to think about it, okay, you know, th that's there. I don't necessarily need to go for lots of single, more functional words yet. Let me back it up to this exclamatory word phase and see if I can teach a kid to imitate here and be really successful. The next little kind of words that we want him to imitate are children who 
um, also get where those real words going, but they get them going during uh, automatic speech or verbal routine. So this might be a kid who can say the word go, but only if he hears ready, set, and then he can pop out go. Or a kid who might be able to say e or three, some kind of variation of that word, after he hears you say one, two. And again, super, super repetitive words, highly tied to context. It might be a kid who fills in a word during a song. But that's a really, really important part of speaking as well. And again, how do kids learn how to fill in those words? They hear you say it over and over and over and over and over, and it, it's imitated when it first starts to come in. And then finally, we get to that uh, real word phase there with single words. But look at all the things children have to learn how to imitate first. And so sometimes we're just expecting too much too soon when we're teaching imitation. We expect to you know, put the child up on the counter and say, say mama, say dada, say, uh, you know, I love you. And they are just nowhere near ready for that. And so you've got to back them way up and look at that. So that's the second reason that a child may not be talking yet is because he's not imitating well enough yet. So that was our second reason. Let's move on to the third reason. Guys, and this is a hard one to swallow sometimes. Guess what? The reason might not be the kid. It might be you. <laughs> it might be you. And if you're a therapist, this is probably much more relevant. Well, but it could apply to parents too, but it could just be that we're just not being purposeful enough. We're doing some of the right things. We occasionally hit a home run with a child with doing something that would work, but we don't do it consistently enough or purposefully enough for it to really, really make a difference with a child. And, and again, this is not something that I can say, you know, these are the 10 strategies that you should be doing and these are the 10 strategies that you shouldn't be doing. I've written a lot about that in all my therapy manuals, but let me tell you some good resources for this. If you're thinking what does work or what doesn't work, there's, there are a couple of articles that I've written a long time ago at Teach Me to Talk that are still, again, so timely. You know, what works to help late talkers begin to use words, and then what doesn't work, unproductive strategies for late talkers. So go look those up at Teach Me to Talk and read through some of those. But usually it's that we are, again, are not as consistent. We may be trying to teach too many different words. So instead of just focusing on, hey, I am going to have this little core set of vocabulary, and we're just going to double down on these three or four, or maybe for some kids, one word until we really, really get it, until I hear him say it a lot. You know, I'm really, really going to make sure that I am saying this word enough for him to hear it and understand what it means and then begin to imitate it, and I'm going to give him enough opportunities. And so as a therapist, this might be somebody who, again, is working on 57 goals <laughs> with a child rather than two or three short-term goals at a time. So think about that, especially for therapists. You've got to be super purposeful, and you've got to be able to state just if somebody said to you, for any child on your caseload, you know, I should be able to take your folders and say, oh, this is Emily. Tell me what your main goals are for Emily. Oh, this is Brandon. Tell me what your main goals are for Brandon. And you should know those guys. You should be able to say. And you shouldn't say something as generic as improve expressive language. You know, you should really be a lot more focused than that. And so being super, super specific about what your short-term goals are. Another point that I want to make here, and this is, I learned this lesson via the Internet from Dr. Caroline Bowen, again, probably 
10 or 15 years ago. We, it's, and she calls it recasting, but we have to give children 12 to 18 models of a word. And again, this is evidence-based, meaning there's research to support it. Kids have to hear that word 12 to 18 times before there's ever any hope of them being able to really imitate it. And again, some of our kids who have really auditory strengths, so our children, again, who are on our caseload who have markers for autism that are echolalic, may be able to hear a new word and instantaneously spit it out. But that doesn't work that way in typical development, and it certainly doesn't work that way for the majority of our little late-talking friends. So recasting and, and just remind yourself, I've got to say this target word often enough for this child to be able to say it. And as a parent, you don't give up after two or three times. Let's say that you're trying to teach your child the word milk. And so you're standing in front of him and you're saying, milk, milk, you want some milk? Let's get a drink of milk. Mm, look what's in your cup. What is it? It's milk. So you said milk five or six times during that. And that's how, and you've got to go double and triple that, according to Dr. Bowman's research, to even get near the point where a child would be able to imitate that word and, and copy that word, repeat it back to you. So be sure that you're thinking about that too. That's part of being purposeful and consistent. And let me just say persistence is a big, big thing. I cannot tell you how many parents have said this to me, and if you are a skilled therapist, I bet you've heard this too. Parents have said to me some version of, well, if I tried as hard as you, I think he would be talking already. And I want to say, I want to just, you know, at that point, get my things and say, ah, you know, there's the key to the whole thing. <laughs> you've got to try really, really hard. Now you know, now you know, you've uncovered this gold, you know, the golden secret here, the golden key. You've got to be really, really persistent and not give up after just a few old times of trying to coax a child or cue a child to say a word. You've got to be super, super persistent. So I wanted to let you know that. All right, the last reason that sometimes our expressive strategies don't work is really important too, and this is a big one, is that we're using really traditional, well-known strategies, but we're using them out of order. And so let me give you an example of this. Actually, let's just walk through this, and then I'll give you some examples. And this is from my course, Early Speech Language Development, Taking Theory to the Floor. I mentioned that course earlier, the course where I go through that whole hierarchy of social skills and then cognitive and receptive skills and then expressive skills. Again, there's a hierarchy, a subset, even in the expressive language uh, section there with what strategies we're using. And if you're a parent in strategy, that just means what technique or what, um, what method are we using here. So modeling starts first. We model to teach a child to imitate new words. And that's just we say the word and we, we hope, we want them to imitate it too. But that's our first strategy there. And again, we talked about a lot of things that come before modeling. But modeling is your base floor. Some Therapists and in some parents too skip on to things that are further down the line. But modeling, modeling where we say it and then the child repeats it, that's kind of the, the first little rung here of looking at expressive language strategies beyond what we've already talked about. Once a child is imitating, and we've talked about that imitation piece, how we walk kids through that whole, uh, those levels there, once a kid is imitating, then we start to offer choices.
And so that's when we would say things like, you know, what kind of juice do you want, apple or orange? What kind of snack do you want today, cookie or goldfish? Giving those choices. A lot of times parents and even therapists start with choices when a child is not imitating words. So can you see how that doesn't make a lot of sense for a child? Why would we ask him to say something when we know he can't repeat us? And again, we've already talked about how we move, how we teach a child to repeat. We walk through those imitate actions, and then we imitate body movements, and then we imitate mouth movements without sound, and then we imitate mouth movements with sound. And so again, can you see how when you just jump straight to something like, you know, let's, and pediatricians say this all the time. They'll say, just don't give him anything to drink until he <laughs> asks you for it. Don't feed him until you until he says what kind of food he wants. You know, that's completely unrealistic. You certainly don't want to do that. But can you see how you've jumped so far ahead of where lots of children might be? And we really can't start choices until a child has learned how to imitate pretty well. So that's that second little strategy there. First we had modeling, then we had choices. Our next strategy is withholding, and that's the example that I just gave you prematurely that a pediatrician might say, withhold something until a child asks for it. And again, a kid can't really do that. A kid, that's unrealistic until a child has really learned how to, again, imitate and how to repeat. And he's imitated the word often enough that that word is now spontaneous, meaning that he can say it without hearing it. But children, uh, even typically developing children, don't just pop a word out out of the blue, they've heard it and they've heard it a lot and they've imitated it many, many times before they're able to spontaneously produce it. So you can't really use withholding with a child who's not imitating any words yet. And so do you see how sometimes your strategies may not match where a child is developmentally? And again, whose who's fault is that? That's not on the kid, is it? That's on you. And so you've got to really be able to think and match and say, I'm not going to do a lot of withholding for this child until he can imitate my words, until he can make some choices, kind of that forced choice thing that we just talked about with how, um, uh, again, we're asking him, you know, which crayon do you want, red or blue? If he's never said red or blue, chances are he's not going to pop it out in the course of that choice, and he's certainly not going to say it when you hold up the red marker and the blue marker and say, which one do you want? If you've never heard the words red or blue, you are really, really, really being horribly unrealistic in in what you expect that child to do. And as a therapist, I know that you know that, but sometimes we forget it and we think, well, we are here to do therapy. I'm just going to try. And I understand that. And my goodness, like I said before, we'll all cue a word even when we think, well, there's little to no chance that this child could actually do this right now. But I am a speech therapist, and I am doing speech therapy here, so let me try. And, again, I get that, and parents expect that, but it really is horribly unrealistic. Now, the last expressive language strategy that I talk about all the time is sabotage, meaning that we do things to help a child learn to initiate and tell us what he wants, and that's like when we put toys that they want up high on a shelf or we'll put an object within a container that they can see but they can't open by themselves or that we're not giving them. But that's sabotage. So withholding and sabotage kind of go together. But again, can you see that if a child has never, ever imitated that word and if he's not, again, let's go all the way back to the beginning. If he doesn't even understand what those words mean, if he doesn't understand the word, um, 
let's use, again use a real common word like book. And he loves the he loves his book. But if you put it up on a shelf for him to be able to request that book from you, but you've never heard him imitate that word, you've never you've never given him a choice between another toy and book, and he's popped it out, and he can't follow a direction like go get your book, which is what I'm talking about here, all the way back to the first reason that children can't or that aren't talking yet when we're working, working, working. It's that receptive language piece. You know, you can't just expect him to pop out that book if he doesn't demonstrate that he understands what that word means. And so you've got to be super, super careful as an adult, a parent or a therapist, making sure that you are really, really using your strategy sequentially so that those kinds of things make sense. So I hope that this show has been helpful for you. If you have if you're working with a child, your own child or a whole caseload of children and you have children who are not making progress, now there will be outliers certainly, but these are the main reasons. The kids not developmentally ready to talk, the kids not imitating well enough. It could be you. You're not being purposeful and consistent enough with the techniques and strategies that you're trying, or you're trying the right things, you're just misapplying them. So you're doing some of them out of order. And again, if you will just double down a little bit and think from a logical, sequential perspective, you know, what's the, where is this child really, really functioning? What is this core reason that he's not talking? And then you address that. Then and only then <laughs> will a child be ready to move on, and that's when you'll see a lot of progress. All right. I am not going to review those again. We are four minutes short of a full 45-minute show, but you know what? We are just going to call it a day and let that be that. If you have any questions about this show, please feel free to email me at laura at teachmetotalk.com. I love to help you, love to hear your questions. And we'll be back next week with another show, and I hope you'll join me. Have a great week.